This is Talking Business. My next guest is Neville Vincent, who's the Vice President for South Asia Pacific for Nutanix. G'day, Neville. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Alan. It's a pleasure. Nutanix is an American company that is engaged in hyperconverged infrastructure. So you better tell us what that is. What is it? Well, I suppose the best way of looking at it is think of us as the Android of the enterprise. So we're the enterprise operating system. Um, and we say we're the Android because, you know, with um, Android phones, you could be, you know, uh, a Samsung, a Huawei, a Xiaomi, and that, that's their own sort of commoditized infrastructure. And so that's what we do. We're an enterprise operating system, and we allow people to, to commoditize their infrastructure. So, um, but most enterprises have got an operating system already, or at least they're they're operating. <laughs> so, so what do you come in and what take everything over or or integrate it into your into your technology? Well, I think if we still keep the um, the smartphone analogy, you know, what we've done is that we've taken out all the complexity of what enterprises used to have. They had this separate compute capability or storage capability or networking, and we've simplified that into one single appliance that allows you to scale forever. So it's like web scale engineering, you know, um, for phones. Uh, and so that's what we're able to do. So we take away all that complexity that they used to have. Are you able to take us through a real-world example, just so to help help understand it? Sure. Well, I, I tell you what I'd like to do is talk about sort of three laws of compute, and that could be in the cloud, it could be within the enterprise itself, and then we can take a real-world example um, as to how we apply those laws um, from a Nutanix perspective. How does that sound? Sounds fine. Let's do it. So, so when we look at compute... Um, there are three laws as we see it. You know, there's the laws of economics, there's the laws of the land, and there's the laws of physics. And so when we look at the laws of economics, and, and to use another analogy, you know, if I come and travel to Melbourne um, for a couple of days, the laws of economics say that a hotel is very good for me. High functionality, but high cost. But if I want to stay in Melbourne for, say, three months, then really a hotel economically is not good for me. You know, so I'd rather go to a service department, sort of lower functionality, but better economics. But if I'm going to live in Melbourne for, say, five years, then it's probably better for me to own my own home. And so compute has the same laws. You know, I may want to for short workloads or for, you know, immediate needs, I'll maybe go to the cloud, maybe higher cost, higher functionality. But then if I want to have a, a stable sort of workload of computing, I may want to go to a managed service. But if I want something that I want for a long period of time, uh, then I may want to go build it myself. And those are the laws of economics of compute. Now, the laws of the land, we all know about sort of regulatory um, compliance and data governance, whether I will put that in a public cloud or have that on premise, I've got to, you know, regulate my laws of economics and my laws of the land together. And then lastly, the laws of physics is very much about data gravity. And what we're seeing for consumables as well as enterprises is data needs to be available at the edge. And that's now an emerging trend within how enterprises are looking to differentiate themselves using technology. What do you, what do you mean available at the edge? 
What does that mean? So, so an edge, let, let me give an example. Uh, so, for instance, in the mining industry, you may have an autonomous vehicle. Now, but if that autonomous vehicle breaks down, it could actually interrupt the whole manufacturing workflow. So, if I can have a, an intelligent vehicle that can actually communicate its status and the wear and tear and look at predictive maintenance, I can pull that autonomous vehicle out proactively, push in another one, and it doesn't disrupt the, the manufacturing chain of that mine. Uh, so that's where you've got data at the edge. Right. So now it's time for a real real world example. What about Treasury? Can you tell us about Treasury? Well, yeah. So, so I think with them, that was more of a data center uh, modernization. And so there that they were seeing, you know, there was complexity and there was cost in the the maintenance of their own sort of infrastructure. And so the ability to say, okay, let's dramatically simplify this to commoditize components, take on an enterprise operating system, all of the complexity that they had with managing those traditional, what we call three tier, you know, the first tier being compute, the, the second tier storage, the, the third tier network. Uh, and that enabled them some sufficient economics and simplified the way that they would actually manage or provision their computing services. Right. But if we were to look at some other real-world examples, um, let's take on a particular bank. Now, we, we can't actually name the bank, but we, we, we work with the, sort of the top 20 of the AX, uh, ASX today. Um, and so what we're seeing is banks that want to become more of a digital service and move away from some of their traditional way of doing business, you know, having somebody at the kiosk coming in and talking to them about different services. Once if I could offer that on a mobile platform and I could actually offer different products profiled to your own um, uh, sort of like banking and financial needs from all the data that gets gathered uh, from a different system. And so that's an edge device going back to a data center device. Now, how do I actually communicate efficiently and effectively and develop applications that will be deployed very quickly at scale? And so our operating system allows for applications to be developed very quickly on this operating system and deployed at scale to the edge devices offering new types of services and new capabilities. And so we're seeing that innovation at the data center and at the edge, and people are able to do that because the operating system uh, is compatible. I think the company's Nutanix is transitioning from um, from a sort of a once-off payment to a subscription pay payment system. How's that going? We're very fortunate. That's going very well. And the reason it's beginning to go well is that if you look at um, people that subscribe to the public cloud, they will do that on a subscription basis. And so what we're seeing is the sort of interoperability of the cloud-like experience on-premise and have the same subscription payments as you would the public cloud as well. So then the, the payment and the economics and the process of be it on-premise or be it off-premise is exactly the same experience for our enterprise customers. Well, it's obviously going very well because um, Nutanix is a NASDAQ-listed company with a um, market capitalization of $7 billion US. And um, uh, not only is it not making any money, it's um, losing money, which is incredible, really. I mean, um, it's not that surprising in the sense that the fair few companies in the US are doing that. Um, that is to say... Uh, you know, valued at billions and uh, lose money. But I think that obviously the market is confident um, that uh, you're going to get there. 
Yeah, I, I, I think we should look at many different success stories. So let's take Amazon Web Services. I mean, they were a very confident investor in the early days of what they did. And I think it was for a long time that they invested and have a high level of investments, um, which would probably constitute, you said, to losing money. Uh, but now look at them today and look at their worth and look at their capability. I think we can say exactly the same thing for Nutanix. I mean, if you looked at the Nutanix stock price and you compared it to some of the most successful companies in the world, I think we're following exactly the same trajectory. And what I mean there is what we call about the messy middle. The messy middle is when you take these hard decisions moving from a capex to a subscription to a consumption model. Uh, so the likes of Amazon, the likes of Netflix, the likes of Adobe all went through uh, a messy middle high investment profile. And I think you'll see that we're following exactly the same track. So confidence is high, opportunity is very high. Uh, so we're looking forward to an exciting time ahead. No, in fact, I'm looking at a chart of your share price now and it's uh, it started, a year ago, it was 40 bucks, came down to 20 bucks, and then it's back to 40 again. So it's been, um, it's, it's kind of gone down, as you say, and gone up again. Yeah, and you'll, you'll see some of that choppiness as most companies go through these types of transitions. And, you know, I think the, the, uh, the confidence that we have is making the tough decisions now for our, a, a sustainable run rate business for the future. And I think that's what people are beginning to see, that not only are we the leaders in what we do, fortunately, but we're creating a sustainable income stream for us that people will look to invest in because of our predictability and the size of market that goes with that. Well, one of the slides in your um, in the quarterly uh, presentation w- uh, referred to deferred revenue, long-term yes. and short-term deferred. What's that about? So that's about the subscription backlog. And so people will take on, say, a four- or five-year contract and we'll recognise the first year up front and all of that deferred revenue is yet to be recognised. Um, and so that's that's where you get that predictable income and revenue stream. All right. Can they can they get out of the contracts or they're stuck? They're stuck in it. Well, today in a four and five year contract, no. But what we're moving to is we'll probably move to an annualised contract. So actually, we will give customers the opportunity that if they're not receiving the value that we give them, then they have the opportunity to opt out, like you would with any other cloud company today. Uh, and so we will take on that model. It's interesting. I mean, you're you're at the forefront of um, you know the the sort of the the modern enterprise, really, aren't you? Well, I think we'd we'd like to think so because you know we've been um, very successful in taking out the complexity for the infrastructure for the enterprise at the infrastructure layer. Our next level is going to taking out the complexity of the application development, and then the layer beyond that again is going to the edge uh, and connecting the edge devices uh, as well. So I think. Where we can help enterprises is really help them innovate with technology, especially at the edge. Um, And that's where we feel the opportunity really is. And so many companies are afraid of either being disrupted or wanting to be a disruptor. And all of that innovation pretty much comes at the edge of their organization. And that's where we're really uh, enabling what we call innovation value. Like, for instance, you know, in the mining industry. And there's other industries that we could quote as well. Thanks very much, Neville. Interesting to talk to you from the edge. Great. Thanks, Alan. Appreciate it. I've been talking to Neville Vincent, who is the Vice President for South Asia Pacific of Nutanix.